0: So I want to welcome you guys today. I want to welcome everyone who's online. My name is Kim Shepson. I'm the Eagle Kids director and I'm the women's ministry director, which is exciting. We just rolled that out this fall. So it's uh, we've kind of been a little slow in going, but January we are hitting the ground running. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the women's ministry today. But more important than the things that we're going to do in the ministry is what we're going to be about as a ministry. And that's as women, we want to seek the Lord in Scripture. We want to worship Him. And we want to encourage and support each other in all of our seasons of life as we follow Him. And I want you to know that all women are welcome. Whether you've participated in a Bible study or a worship event ever in the past, you are welcome to be involved in this, and we hope you do. So in January, we're going to have some opportunities for mentoring and also studying the Bible. And a couple of months ago, a pastor from another church introduced me to a type of Bible study that's a discovery Bible study, and I loved it. But I wanted to try it out to see if it would be a good fit for our women here. It's a little bit of a non-traditional women's ministry Bible study. And so I asked a handful of ladies just to gather around and try it, and we loved it. Because in this format, we get the opportunity to connect and engage with each other about our lives, but also to dive deep into Scripture with the intent to obey Scripture and to apply it. And so one of the first uh, passages that we looked at was Philippians 2. And in Philippians 2, it just captures everything that we want to be about as a women's ministry, but also that we want to be about as followers of Christ. It tells us who God is, who Jesus is, and what it looks like for us to follow him in humility. And so today we're going to study that passage, but before we do, I just have a few words. One is kind of a word of caution. I think um, I have become more aware that as humans, we are limited with our words and with our understanding to be able to comprehend an eternal and an infinite God. And yet we know in Scripture that we can rely on His word, and His holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And today we're going to rely on His word and pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us who He is in this passage in Philippians 2. I also know that the more that we are around God, sometimes we can become desensitized to the greatness of God. Um, it just He can kind of feel ordinary. And I think some of this is natural. I don't know if you guys have traveled out west, but the first time I know for me, the first time I saw the Rocky Mountains, I was in awe. My breath was taken away. And then I lived out in Colorado one summer, and every day I appreciated the mountains, but I was no longer in awe of them. I got busy, I had to work, we had to do stuff, and so while I appreciated it, I was no longer in wonder and awe. And my family experienced this a couple of summers ago. We had the opportunity to go to Alaska, It was amazing we had never seen glaciers before so we had decided to have the most opportunities that we could to see glaciers and so uh, one day we hiked alongside a glacier Um, we hiked on some ice fields that poured into a glacier we even took a ferry to a glacier we saw the glaciers from above but it wasn't until the kind of the last one of the, the last days that we were there that we had a guide take us by kayaks out to a glacier, and it impacted me so much differently. That day, it happened to be 50 degrees and really cold, and it was raining. Um, So despite that, it was an amazing day. We saw all kinds of wildlife. Um, There was like a waterfall that we went by, and as we approached this glacier, he had us stop a certain distance from it, so just the size of our boat, we had to, And he said, we're going to stay here for 30 minutes. And I want everyone just to be silent, no talking. We are just going to sit in awe of this glacier and look at it and appreciate what it is. And there's something that happened in me during that time that cut my soul deep. As I saw it in front of me, I realized how big and massive it was, how insignificant I was in comparison of it. And I was just in awe. And it led me to a place of worshiping God that he would create something that was so beautiful. And even though I had passed by them this whole trip and seen them, it wasn't until I lingered and stopped because someone asked us to that I began to appreciate it. And today, I would just ask that we would take that same approach to Scripture. We have heard these truths many times, but instead of them just being facts that we pass by quickly... I'm just going to ask that we kind of pause and sit and listen to scripture and who jesus is and let that wonder and awe fill us now i've given you a description about this glacier and it may not have even been a very good description at all um but i'll give you a picture i have a picture of it from our trip and it was really cold that day and so i was fumbling with my camera Hoping, won't my phone, hoping I wouldn't put it in the water, because if you know me, I'm a little klutzy, and that could have happened. But I wanted to capture just this moment. And then there's another picture that I have. Um, I have a boat circled right there that you can see the massiveness. It was closer to the base of the glacier and just how large it was. And they say that, you know, a picture's worth 10,000 words, so maybe this filled in some details of what that glacier looked like. But there is nothing like an experience. Because just looking at this, you guys don't feel the cold that we felt in the kayak from water splashing in and from the rain. You guys don't hear that massive ice calving and breaking into the water. It was unbelievable. And there's something about an experience that is different than just hearing about something. You can have a description, you can have a picture. But when you experience it, you are changed. I want to think about this in light of scripture. In the Old Testament, there are many people who heard a description of God. They heard about him. There were a lot of people who experienced the effects of the mighty acts that God did. And there were a few people who experienced the presence of God through prayer and in the temple and being with him. But there was no one... Who saw God, and it wasn't until Jesus came as God incarnate that people got to see who God was. In John and First John, one went to lengths to say that which was in the beginning, which we heard with our ears, we saw with our eyes, we looked at and our hands touched. That we proclaim to you concerning the Word of Life. He said, we didn't just hear about Jesus. We didn't just hear about God. We got to experience him and touch him and be with him. Do you think about the men and women who traveled with Jesus and the disciples, they got to see his miracles, him changing water into wine, feeding the 5,000, healing people who were sick. They got to see him cast out demons. They heard him teach with authority. They saw him rebuke the pride of the Pharisees, and they experienced Jesus. And it's based on their experiences that our faith is built on who Jesus is. And so today we want to look at the picture that Paul gives us in Philippians of who Jesus is. Jesus who they experienced then and we believe that we can still experience now. And so before we open it, um, kind of to give you a little background in the context of Philippians, we know from the book of Acts that when Paul went to Philippi, He went there and he went to a place where he thought the people would be praying and he found a group of women there and in that group was lydia the scripture says that lydia believed and was baptized and then later the church was held in her home and the philippians supported paul and his ministry financially and later paul writes them this letter from his prison um, to the philippians and so paul gives us this high call to humility and to who jesus is as he writes to the people at Philippi. So if you open your Bibles, you'll also see it on the screen. Um, I think the host online can show you where the scripture is and it's in your notes. In Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Let's read that together. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being united in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should, not, should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. At the beginning of this, Paul, he appeals to their experience with Jesus. The people in Philippi, they did not walk with Jesus. He appeals to their experience with the risen Jesus, the Jesus who has given them encouragement and comfort. And then he calls them to being united in humility together. And I think we can all attest to this goes against everything in our nature. We are prone to vain conceit, selfish ambition, always trying to secure our own safety help us to advance, make it so that other people might serve us. That is how we are wired, and our culture only affirms this. We are encouraged to do everything for our own advancement so that we can get ahead in life. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was convicted about my own family. Because I think in my family, we do a lot to tell our kids about using all that God has given them for God's glory, that they need to invest their time and their talents well, that they need to work hard and be faithful stewards. But often we talk about it in the context of bringing God glory. And I think the understood might be so that your family can benefit from it one day. We don't go on to say, for the benefit of others you need to invest your time and all that God has given you and so for you for thinking about it as you think about this passage and I left a place in your notes what keeps you from looking out for the interest of others in humility I was also convicted that for me my schedule is really tight I think it's filled with a lot of good things I think it's filled with caring with people But it's so tight and full that I often don't have much time left over or even mental space to look out for the needs of others who are kind of outside of my box. And so for me, I've been convicted that I need to look at my schedule as I consider the interests of others. I know that it's really hard in conflict to consider the interests of others. Man, when we have a disagreement, we kind of dig our heels in to our view. We want to hold to it. We clutch tightly. And the last thing we're thinking about is the interest of someone else. So at work, in our marriages, with friends, how are we looking out for the interest of others in conflict? Paul later in the book of Philippians talks about two women who are partners with him in ministry and encourages them to reconcile so that they can live lives worthy of the gospel and not be in conflict. So so Paul calls us to this high calling of humility and unity, And it's so not who we are that I feel like he says all of this, and then he's like, okay, time out. The only way this is going to happen is if you have the mind of Christ. And so then in this next part of the passage, he gives us this beautiful picture of who Jesus is, what his attitude was, what he did, and he is the example that we are to emulate. And so before we read this, I would like to invite you, just like the guide invited our family, just to kind of sit and pause and receive, not just to pass this by quickly as facts of who Jesus is, but to sit and absorb and to appreciate that the God of heaven would want to communicate with us, and he was willing to come and serve and ultimately die on the cross. And so open your Bibles to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that of the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to just walk through these verses slowly and kind of unpack some of the pictures that Paul has in here. In verse 6, I read it from the ESV. I grew up with the NIV, so that one's a little bit more familiar to me. In the NIV, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. When Paul starts talking about Jesus, he doesn't start with the nativity scene at Christmas. He doesn't start when Jesus came to earth. He starts with Jesus who was with his Father in glory before the creation of the world. John wrote in John 1.1 that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so as we consider Jesus, do we think about him beginning with his birth at Christmas? Or do we think about him being with God before even the creation of the world? Because at creation, Jesus was there. The Bible says that all things were created by him and for him and through him. When the law was given to Moses, Jesus was there with the Father. When Ezra rebuilt the temple and Nehemiah rebuilt the wall... Jesus was there with the Father from the very beginning. He existed with the Father in glory before coming to earth. And it says that Jesus was in very nature God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And Colossians 1.19 says the fullness of God was in him. It means all of the attributes of God, the essence of who God is, is present in Jesus, God's omnipotence, his his full power, his his knowledge, his holiness, his love, his forgiveness, his justice, his mercy, all of these are found in Jesus. This passage is an example of just the beauty of God's love for us and the self-giving nature of God's love, that he would pour it out for us. Now it says that the equality of God, he did not consider the equality of God something to be grasped. The um, the Greek word in this is harpagmos, which means that the equality of God, Jesus did not consider as something to exploit for his own advantage. So all of these attributes, his divine power, his knowledge, he did not exploit these things for his own advancement. So, some of you guys know the story, but recently I got kind of a front row seat to the idea of what it means to exploit something for one's own advantage. Um, I had my purse stolen out of my car, it was a smash and grab, Um, and they took my purse, my credit cards, my license, and everything that was in it. And these thieves, within 30 minutes, had spent $7,000 of my money they, well, they tried to, at least. Some of it went through, some of it did not. They tried to use my credit for their own advancement. A lot of it was technology. It was stuff that they wanted for their own good. I did not give them permission to do this, to access all of my resources, but they took it and they used it for them. Okay, so the contrast would be, we have three teenagers, two of them drive, and for our drivers, we give them our credit card to be used under certain circumstances. And they know what it's supposed to be used for. So they have access to all of our same resources. They have our permission to use it. But they don't use it for their own advancement. And if they have a question, they ask us. And so here we see Jesus, who had everything that was his father's that he could tap into. But he didn't use it for his own advancement. the Bible, says that Jesus did only what he saw the Father was doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying, what the Father told him to say. With this, we also know that Jesus was tempted. When he was led into the wilderness, Satan tempted him to use all that he had for his own advancement. He said, if you are the Son of Man, turn this bread or turn this stone into bread. Use your power for your own physical fulfillment. And Jesus didn't do it. He was also tempted to bypass and to shortcut this path of obedience and humility that God was taking him on in order to be glorified. Satan said, bow down to me and then you can have the glory of the nations and they'll worship you. And Jesus didn't take that shortcut. Instead, he chose this path of humility of coming from heaven, taking the body of a person and of a servant, and then eventually dying on a cross. He chose that path. And obedience to God and he's our example of that verse 7 says but Jesus emptied himself taking the very form of a servant being made in human likeness you know you think of that picture of Jesus in glory with the father and then he takes on our body a body that um, is created he was part of creation we're part of the created and a body that's limited I think we all know as we get older the weaknesses that we face the temptations that we face, the limitations that we face. And Jesus was willing to come and to be a part of that. And this picture is of Jesus changing in appearance. So it's kind of like the picture, and this has been used as an example, of a king with all of his power and authority wearing a royal robe that signifies all of that power and authority. And that king taking off the robe, setting it aside, and taking what a servant would wear and putting that on and then serving. That's what Jesus did. Who he was, that picture of the king, that picture of the king, that king still has all of the authority and the power, but his appearance has changed. Jesus in coming to earth still had the divinity of God, but his appearance was that of a man in coming to us. In verse 8 it says, "...and being found in appearance as a man..." He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So with each statement that we have, we have Jesus taking one step lower on this path of humility into descending into this completely humble state. The one who gives life, who is part of creation, was willing to experience death. We know from history that the cross was the most excruciating death and was also the most humiliating death. That the cross was reserved for the worst offender, the vilest criminal, and for the lowest slave. And this is what Jesus died on. And we wonder why. Why would he do this? And again, it's a picture of the self-giving love of the Father so that we could be reconciled to God and live a life of peace. In Hebrews 10, it talks about Jesus dying once and for all for our sins. In the Old Testament, there was a picture of continually offering sacrifices day after day that that never completely satisfied the wrath or the judgment of God. It was Jesus' death, the perfect man on the cross, who satisfied that so that we could live in peace with God, so that we could know him, have his presence and his strength now, and still experience Jesus as the risen Savior. Dane Ortland wrote, and this is in your notes, in the book Gentle and Lowly, on the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. He went that far. He went all the way. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. Jesus obeyed to the lowest point of humility. He did not exploit his divinity or what he had for his own advancement. He didn't keep his appearance of prestige but he was willing to become a servant on our behalf and so scripture says in verse 9 through 11 therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father It is when we get a view of who Jesus is and when we come before him in worship that it's that place of humility on our part. When we see him, we get a sense of the smallness and the lowness of who we are. I think Andrew Murray said it really well. He said, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self and the vision that God is all. When we come before him, our self-glorification fades away. And so with his humility, we become humble and we're called to follow him and his steps. But just like we said before, this is not in our human nature. We can't do this on our own. And so let's look at verses 12 and 13 of what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. We know we don't have the moral strength to to be humble and to serve other people on our own. But it says that God gives us the desire to do his will. And he gives us the ability to carry it out and do his will. But we have to say yes and actually do it. That's the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling we have to do what he calls us to. And so that's why in the women's ministry, as we learn about who God is, we also focus on obeying God and living that out on what he's calling us to do. And so I've been in ministry in different settings for a long time, and in my years of discipleship and in my own life, I think there are two things that keep us from growing greater into likeness and from following him the first one is we don't really believe God is who he says he is. And the second one is we don't obey what he's asked us to do. And so let's look at those two things in light of this passage. First of all, with Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is fully God? And if you don't, what questions do you have? You have a note sheet? I encourage you to write them down. I encourage you to bring those questions before God, to ask him, to pray about them, to search scripture for answers, and to talk to people who know the word of God. And God will reveal himself to you. He's a God who loves you and who wants to have a relationship with you. And when we believe who God, that he is who he says he is, and we worship him, we know that he is worthy of all of our adoration, and he's also worthy of all of our self-sacrifice, For the benefit of other people and for his glory. And so the second question is, are we willing to obey what God asks us to do in this passage? Which is to think of others' interest above our own and to be willing to self-sacrifice. We have the picture of Jesus who had all that was God's but did not use that stuff, those qualities, those attributes, for his own benefit. As we think about all that we have, our gifts, our talents, our resources, everything, are we willing to use those things not just for us, but for the benefit of others? And how can we start maybe doing that better? We have the picture of Jesus who, instead of retaining his appearance of prestige, was willing to give that all up and serve other people. And I think for us, maybe metaphorically speaking, are we willing to set aside those things that help us appear prestigious? Maybe it's our suits or our scrubs or our uniforms or designer clothes. Are we willing to set all of that aside in order to serve other people? Maybe it's tutoring in the schools here. Maybe it's tutoring in the inner city. Maybe it's um, doing more pro bono work. Maybe it's cleaning somebody's house who needs help on a certain day. How can we serve other people with what we have? I think about it in conflict, in our marriages, and at work. Are we willing to push through conflict until we we reach unity? For our students, think about at school how Jesus was willing to kind of descend that ladder to be completely humble. Students, are you willing to go down that ladder of status to someone who in the back of your head, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you might think is below yourself. Are you willing to befriend them and help them and to serve them? And as I think about it for parents, I think, in my opinion, we always have our kids' best interests in mind. From day one, we are living for our kids' best interests. However, I'm convicted by, after we have a picture of what that is, are we getting to know our kids well? So that we can continue to have their best interest in mind and know who they are. So that we can form that picture of what that best interest is. So as we look to Jesus, are we willing to believe he is who he says he is? And are we willing to obey what God has asked us to do? I, um, at the beginning, I told you about you know, kind of this trip to Alaska. that was amazing. I described it to you. I showed you a picture of it. But there's nothing like experiencing it. Because you guys, you can't hear that sound. You can't just be in that amphitheater. Um, There's just nothing like an experience to understand. And the disciples in Jesus' time got to experience him, to know who he was. But we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, and that we can still experience him today. We can know his love, his goodness, his peace, his support, his strength in times of need that he takes care of us. And so this is what Jesus is inviting you into. God is inviting you to experience him, to worship him, and to believe him. And so I'm going to um, invite the worship team back up and close with a story. One last story. Some of you guys know that Years ago, my husband and I worked 10 years for a camp, and I used to lead wilderness trips that were 14 to 21 days long. And on those trips, we used to teach students about scripture, but also teach about leadership and character development. It's something that's close to my heart. I'm connected with an organization who still does that. They do an excellent job in the Boundary Waters. And last August, I was able to go be up there when a group of students from a troubled part of the inner city We're getting ready to launch and it was a group of adults a group of a kid a group of kids and all of these people had firsthand experience with violence in their life they had firsthand experience with broken relationships and a lot of discord and so it was clear right away that their relational walls were super high they didn't trust people easily most of them did not believe in god most of them did not believe that you could know god through his son jesus christ And so I had a chance to talk to the course leaders before they launched off on the trip. And part of their course plan was just to serve these teens and these adults well so that they might know the humility of Christ and to be an example of that as they continued in the Boundary Waters. When I talked to the kids at drop-off, my heart was heavy, and it was so broken. And just talking to them about their stories, what was normal for them, Um, Just, I was just broken that they might know that God is a God who loves them, that God is a God who can carry their burdens, who can, no matter what their circumstances are, give them peace and be with them in the middle of that. And so my heart was just praying for this group that in the boundary waters, with the pristine lakes, with the trees, with the profound silence, that God would reveal himself to them. And so it was two days later that we were back here at a staff retreat. I was on a couch, a comfy place, but my mind was 100% with this group. And John led us in, um, in worship, and we sang the song, So Will I. And I just bawled, ugly tears, and I was heaving, I was sobbing, because this was my prayer and my heart for this group, but it's also my prayer and my heart for us and for me, So i want to read you some of these words if the stars were made to worship so will i if the mountains bow down in reverence so will i if the oceans roar your greatness so will i for if everything exists to lift you high so will i if the wind goes where you send it so will i if the rocks cry out in silence so will i if you gladly chose surrender so will i i can see your heart a billion different ways Every precious one, a child, you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, that the God of creation, we would know that he came to sacrifice for us, and today that we would choose to bow down and to worship Jesus Christ as Lord, that we would serve others in humility because Jesus is the one we serve. And when we capture a picture of who he is, That's what we long to do is to serve him and to serve others because he is worthy of our prayer.